hope that you all had a good Thanksgiving with family or friends and that you remember to be a light and an ambassador for Christ. That's what we're going to talk about this evening. So why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer and then we'll get into this last installment of this series. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the privilege that we have of knowing Jesus and the privilege of being with you day by day by day and you with us. And Father, we just ask you today, tonight, this evening, that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand through the scriptures and through story what it means to be a light and an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And the Father, you would move in our hearts and that you would compel us as we sing about the love of Christ tonight, that you would compel us by the love of Christ to strive to take the role that you've given us seriously, to think about it, to ponder it, to be intentional and missional in the way that we live our lives for Jesus Christ. We realize, Lord, that time is short. We realize you could be back any day. We realize that we're not guaranteed tomorrow or another 10 years. And I just ask you, Father, that you'd bring a, a sober and serious intentionality to the way we live our lives, that you would permeate every aspect of our living, of our jobs, of the way we deal with people, of our kindness, of our family life, everything. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to imagine for a moment with me what it would be like to have one billion lights shining for Jesus Christ around the world Every single day of the year. <clears throat> Imagine one billion people living their lives every single day, being kind towards others, doing good towards others and for others, and living their lives in a Christ-like manner to be a representative of Jesus Christ. What do you think might happen in the world we live in? There are... <clears throat> By the best estimates of four or five different organizations who have gathered the facts, one billion Christians out of seven billion people in the world. <clears throat> that means one to every seven. Imagine the influence that that could have in the world we live if every Christian took their role and their ambassadorship and their calling from God seriously, that we thought about it, that we pondered it, that we were intentional about how we lived our life. Well, <clears throat> obviously, there's lots and lots of people, hundreds of millions, to be honest, that do not take it seriously, that do not think about it. But I want to talk tonight to you and I. And I want you to think tonight about some of the questions that I ask you and some of the scriptures that we go over, and then I'm going to illustrate some of these things with real-life stories tonight and how they have impacted my life over the years. <clears throat> Jesus tells us, we're going to go over some of these passages, but I'm just going to refresh your memory. He told his disciples in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. No one lights a candle. In those days they had candles. They didn't have little flashlights like we have today, or electric lights. <clears throat> no one puts a candle, lights it, 
and then sticks it under a basket, covers it up so no one can see it. But rather, they put it up on a light stand like a torch in the old Roman hallways so that it gives light to everyone around it. And then Jesus said, in the same way, the same way that you let a light shine, let your good deeds shine before others. Let them see your good deeds so that when Jesus comes back, they will glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, they will look forward to Jesus coming back because they were influenced by what you did and they turned away from this world and they embraced Christ. That's what he's saying. <clears throat> Bible tells us that we are representatives and ambassadors of Jesus to this world. Now, I want you to think about these questions. And kids, tonight, you're in the audience and I'm going to share something with you a little bit later. But I would like you to think about this also. Does my life, do my good deeds, my daily living before a watching world give others a reason to believe in God? You kids, I want you to think about this for a moment. You might be seven, you might be ten, you might be the oldest in your family. But you have little brothers and sisters. Almost all of you have a little brother and sister. Does the way you treat your little brother or sister cause them to to wonder, as they get old enough to wonder, wow, I'd like to know God because I see the way that my brother or my sister treats me. If you want to have influence <clears throat> on your little sibling, share with them. Be kind to them. Let them get in your stuff. Don't get impatient with them because you can be a light right there in your little room your bedroom, or when Christmas time comes, or maybe they like your gift better than the other gift that grandma or grandpa gave them. Well, let them see your gift. Don't just say, oh, that's mine. That's mine. I want it. How do we live our lives? Are we representing Jesus well? Are we in our families a good advertisement for the Christian faith? I want you to think about this. When you go to a restaurant, and you're sitting at Panera, you're sitting at Noodles and Company, you're sitting at Chipotle, wherever it is. What is it really like to be around your family? Have you ever sort of had an out-of-body experience? You just kind of sit there and watch and think, I wonder what other people might think when they see me sitting here with my three children or my two or my five or my four or my seven. And we have some with seven or eight. What do they see? When they look at us, I can tell you, I know some families here. I know this happened to Kathy and I many times. <clears throat> we would have strangers walk up to us and say, excuse me, <clears throat> but I'm just so touched by your children. They're not crawling all over the, the stool. They're not throwing things on the ground. They're not, give me that. I don't want that. Where's my food? Because they see well-mannered, obedient, respectful children. And I know for Kathy and I, the prime motivation, the primary motivation as we were raising our children was to bring glory to Christ and be a good advertisement for the Christian faith. And you kids, I want to tell you, one of the most powerful witnesses in the world is a well-mannered, respectful three-year-old, four-year-old. 
five-year-old, eight-year-old. It blows people's minds. Most kids are in their own world. And most kids today start at eight, nine, or ten. They're already sitting there with their own phone or their own iPad, and they're just in their own world. They don't look you in the eye. They don't say hi. We're Christ's representatives. I don't just know if we grasp this. There isn't anybody else. The rocks aren't going to talk. The trees aren't going to talk. The animals aren't going to talk. We're it. We're it. How seriously do we take this role and this incredible opportunity? Does my life and my actions win the respect of those who see me, know me, and work with me? Now, I want you to understand, none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. I am not perfect. Are we consistent? Are we consistent? And does the way we go through life, the way we do our job, the way we interact with other people, does it win the respect of those around us? Am I winning the respect of my wife? Am I winning the respect of my children? Because they see in dad a Christ-like life. Someone who's serious about being a light right there to his own little children. Are we the real thing? Are we genuine? The hypocrisy and the compromised lives of many Christians has damaged the reputation of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? The hypocrisy and the compromised lives of millions and millions of Christians have damaged the reputation of Jesus Christ. And they've caused people to think less of our faith, less of our Savior, less of the Scripture. Because when they look at us and we have our bumper sticker or we claim to know Jesus and we're moaning and complaining and grumbling and our lives are just such at times, a bad advertisement for Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible tells us in the book of Titus to be a good advertisement for the Christian faith. That's where I got my little family mission statement that I've shared with you years ago, making Christ attractive to the world. You better believe the way that we live our lives either detracts from Jesus and the message or it attracts people to the message. We have this incredible calling that God has given to us if we take it seriously and if we live intentionally as lights and people who do good things for others, people who represent Jesus well in our jobs, in our families, in our neighborhoods. I'd like to read to you a little passage of Scripture that has meant a lot to me out of 1 Peter. Now, obviously, Peter wrote 1 Peter. Peter, Simon Peter, was one of Jesus' disciples, one of the early apostles. And he was there when Jesus shared Matthew 5, 14. Many years later, he writes this. I implore you. You think sometimes I use strong words. I beg you. I implore you. I am pleading with you. Dear friends, as aliens and exiles, keep from gratifying Fleshly desires such as wage war against your soul. So he's pleading. 
He's given us perspective. You're an alien here. You're a stranger here. You're in exile. We're living in exile. We're not at home. We're here. So in the meantime, we have a mission. Conduct yourselves so well among your non-Christian world, non-believers, that although they may defame you as criminal, they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let me read this to you from the New Living Translation. That was the Berkeley version, and this one is the New, New Living Translation. Dear brothers and sisters, <clears throat> you are foreigners and aliens here. So I warn you, keep away from evil desires because they fight against your very soul. Be careful how you live among your unbelieving neighbors. Even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable, good behavior and your good life, and they will believe and give honor to God when he comes to judge the world. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to judge the world. And people either go to heaven or hell. They will either have come to the cross and been broken and and experienced the ransom of Jesus Christ. Or they will have continued to live in their rebellion and they will pay for their own sins. Good lives. Good lives. I'd like to just share with you some stories. Real life stories. Okay? How does this look in real life? How do we go about this in real life? We're all just ordinary people. I am an ordinary person, but we have an extraordinary God, and he's given us an extraordinary calling in life. Here's one example I'll just share from my daughter. This is my daughter who was singing here. She has five children, she and her husband. And her husband is a track coach of one of the uh, larger high schools in this city. He coaches cross country and he coaches track. So it's fall and it's spring. <clears throat> so they, they have made it kind of their family mission to be a light to all the kids. And there's 100 plus on the track team and on the cross country team. And they're, they're uh, ethnic backgrounds from all over the world. And so my daughter, she makes it a point. She goes to every meet. She takes all the kids. They go to every meet, travel all over the city. And the cross-country ones, and unless they're sick, and the ones in the, <clears throat> in the spring. <clears throat> and they learn the names of the runners on the team. And they cheer them on. They're in the stands. They cheer them on. And when they come by, the young kid, my young grandchildren, they know the names. They walk up. They congratulate them. They interact with them. They talk with them. And they have received comment after comment after comment from a watching world and many who do not know Christ of the impact that that has on their life of these runners, these young teenagers, and what it means to them, what it means to them. they've had the opportunity to begin sort of a little um, Bible study for some of the kids at one of the parents of the kids uh, on the team's home. My daughter has had many opportunities to talk to young women about how she met John and and a different way of going about meeting a spouse and, and remaining pure until you're married. I mean, it's just been amazing, the opportunities. Now, it's a sacrifice. It's a lot of work. She's home educating five kids. She's got to get dinner on. It's traipsing all over the city. Sometimes it's good weather. Sometimes it's really bad weather. But the reality is they understand we're living on mission, and we want to be lights to the world, and we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And this time's flying by, and we won't get it back. And the world stops and takes notice of young children 
who are others-oriented, who aren't just all about themselves, and is powerful and is profound. Many years ago, <clears throat> I worked at this Cadillac dealership. <clears throat> it's a long time ago. And um, I was in the parts department of the Cadillac dealership. I was just basically a low man on the totem pole. <clears throat> I had come from another parts store where I had sold auto parts, but this was a General Motors company, and their parts are all different, and their numbering system's all different, and I was just a novice. So, so here was my mentality, okay? Here's my mentality. There was about 10 mechanics at the back of this Cadillac dealership. And my job is to service them. The faster that I can get a part to them, the sooner they can get the car fixed and the more money they make. And I saw myself, one of my life verses was the verse of Paul where he says, Though I am free from all men, I have made myself the servant of all that I might win as many as possible. And so I saw myself as their servant, their servant. So the first thing I did was during downtime, I studied the books. I don't like to study books. I studied them. I'd have my friend, who was also a believer in the parts department, make up some part. Like, I've got a 68 Cadillac. I need the carburetor rebuild kit, and I need, you know, the fuel filter. And I would get through the mag, you know, because you, you didn't have computers in those days. You had a catalog. They went across the counter that far, that far. And I had to hunt. Now, the last thing a mechanic wants to do is stand there waiting for 30 minutes while some dodo brain guy like me tries to find the number for the part. It frustrates them. It frustrates them when I don't do my job well. Well, of course, there's a learning curve. I can't do it all just quickly, but I learned. I remembered stuff. I remember where it was on the shelves, and I'd walk back, and I'd get a filter. And, and my goal... My goal was to not only get them their part, but I'd jump over the counter and I would take it out to the car itself. I would remember which mechanic came up front. One day, and these guys were pretty foul, to be really frank with you, they were pretty foul. I didn't, you know, put a sign on me that says, I'm a Christian. <clears throat> they just knew there was something different about my life. I came with an eager attitude every day to serve them, an eager attitude. One day, one of the mechanics who happened to be one of the most foul, <laughs> I overheard him saying, you know, my old lady, he was telling the other guys, my old lady won't even make me popcorn. I love butter popcorn. She won't even make me popcorn. All we have is that microwave crap. He's talking like that. So I thought to myself, we were very poor. We were very, very poor at the time. I was working two jobs just to make $13,000 a year <clears throat> and trying to pay off some medical bills. And I went home for lunch that day, and I said, Kathy, I'd really like to surprise these guys. I was wondering, because the other guys were going, yeah, yeah, I don't get into that kind of popcorn either. So I said, you know, would you be willing to make some popcorn, put some real butter on it, and we'll keep it warm in the oven in a big brown grocery sack till I go to work. And then I'd put it down by the floor, turn the heater on, even in the summer, to keep it hot. And, of course, guys, if you know anything about mechanics, they're hungry all the time. They just ate lunch, they're still hungry. <clears throat> so I bring it in, I'd open up the sack, and that smell would waft out. And this guy, he was the first one up. He goes, Blank, darling. What, what's this for? I said, for you. He said, Blank, are you serious? I said, yeah, you know, I just, I wasn't eavesdropping. I just heard you talk about, you know, your wife. You like popcorn and you don't get it. 
Well, my wife is really glad to make some for all of you. Man, that's unbelievable. So every day, every day for months, I brought the buttered popcorn. After, after my lunch, I'd go home and have a can of soup. Yeah, can of soup. That we were poor. Broke. That's all there was. And then I'd come back with this popcorn. <clears throat> well, as time went on, one particular day, these guys were all standing up front. This is after about six months. <clears throat> and the one guy who was the most foul and was talking about his old lady who wouldn't make him popcorn. All these guys, there's like eight of them, and they're all talking about the party they went to this last weekend, and they got really plastered. And one of the guys, this foul guy, he's going, man, he said, I can't wait and go to hell. I'm going to party. I'm going to get drunk all the time, and I'm going to have all these girlfriends. And, you know, he's just. And I'm just standing there behind the counter. And all of a sudden, he looks right at me. He looks right at me. And all the guys look at me. He goes, what do you think, darling? You think someday I'm going to go to hell? He got really quiet. And I said, Mike, no, I don't think you're going to go to hell. I know you're going to go to hell. And there ain't going to be no beer. And there ain't going to be no women. And you're going to fry. And you're going to be alone. And you're going to regret every day for forever. That you didn't give Christ the love and respect he deserved. And that you treated the way, your wife the way that I see you treat her every single day. Oh, man, you could have heard a pin drop. <clears throat> For a minute, I thought he was going to kill me. <clears throat> and, and, and one of the guys said, Blank, darling. I said, hey, hey, dude, you asked. I brought popcorn. You asked. <laughs> one by one, it's a little bit like the Pharisees. You know, one to stone the woman. They just kind of walked away. Like, and, and this one guy, he walked, he was furious. Dan, the transmission man, he's sitting on the stool. He's a really good-looking 23-year-old kid. I mean, this guy, every Monday he'd come, tell about the new girlfriend he had, the party he had. He goes... Blank, darling, you are serious, aren't you? And I got really quiet. I said, Dan, listen to me. Listen to me. Nothing's more serious in the world. I said, I'm not better than any one of you guys. My life, my life was just like what you guys are talking about. All the time. That was my life. But Jesus changed my life. You think I jump over this counter to bring you your parts? Who else does that? I do that because I care about you men. I bring this popcorn every day. What, am I going to win extra brownie points? Am I going to get extra money? I'm not getting extra money for this. I care about you men. I care about your eternity. I care about your lives. You need Christ. And I said, Dan, let me ask you a question. You come in every money and you tell this story. You're with this girl. You're with this girl. Can I ask you a question? Are you really a happy man? Because every, every money you're coming back with some new girl, another girl didn't make you happy. I said, to be truthful, then he get old. And he got really quiet. He said, I don't want anybody else to know that, Mark. But yeah, he gets old. I see, yeah, sin's old. Eventually, you just get your fill of it. It just makes you want to bomb. Well, anyway, eventually, I moved up here to the cities. About three weeks later, I was ordained as a pastor. This is 1986. About six months later, I'm up here. I get a call from the guy who was in the department with me. He goes, Mark, you'll never believe what happened. I said, what happened? 
He said, you remember Mike, that guy you told that story to? He says, yeah. Well, he moved up. He's working in an Oldsmobile dealership in uh, Minneapolis. I said, oh, great. He's following me up here to kill me. <laughs> I was joking. He goes, Mark, it's incredible. Some little Baptist pastor brought his Oldsmobile in there and shared the gospel, and he got saved. He called me to tell me he got saved and that our influence on him helped impact him for Christ. My wife and I, we used to live in this little trailer court, and um, some of you have heard the story, but a lot of you haven't. And uh, part of why I moved to the trailer court is this trailer was given to me, and we were that poor, and it was $73 a month lot rent, and it's a free trailer. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's cheaper than $190 a month rent where I'm paying. And we had two little babies at the time, and I was working two jobs at the time. So we moved up, and to be honest, it was a very run-down trailer court. Right across the little parking way from our trailer court is a big tree, but when the leaves were all gone and it was bare, there was old mattresses and junk that they threw, you know, down the hill. It was like that. And there was this big field that grew weeds, grew pretty tall, and the guy who owned it, he didn't take care of it, and there were a lot of very poor people in that trailer court. One trainer next to us, uh, the cops would regularly visit because the guy and girl who were living together didn't get along very well, and the yelling and screaming got so crazy that someone would call the cops and they'd show up. So I remember moving up to this trailer court. I remember thinking to Kathy, saying to Kathy, you know what, Kathy? <clears throat> I want us to be, we're, we're going to be missionaries up here in this trailer court, and we're going to pray that God uses us up here. So the first thing I'm going to do, I, I said, have you noticed that there's, there's just death up here? I mean, it just, <clears throat> it just feels like death. There were boarded up trailers. There was junk laying around in the parking. The, the, the dirt had piled up in the pavement, and the weeds are growing up in the dirt. <clears throat> so first thing I did is I went out to the front of our trailer, <clears throat> and I pulled up this brush, and I stopped by this farmer's field because I was on this sales route. <clears throat> and in the old days, they didn't sell rocks. Farmers didn't want them to break their disc or their plow, so they'd jump off the tractor, and they'd pile them by the edge of the fence, by the ditch, by the roads. So I went in, hopped over the fence, and stole a bunch of rocks. In those days, it wasn't stealing. They were glad to get rid of them. Now they might sell them, but in those days, it just like, get rid of them. So I put them in my little AMC Hornet, and I drove home like this all the way home, and I put rocks all the way around this, and then I went and bought 100 little impatience, they're called, flowers, multicolored, and I planted them there. We were the only trailer. I would say there was about 50 trailers up there with anything, any flowers, any life. It was just dead up there. <clears throat> I bought a lawnmower for $25, and during the little free time, very little free time that I had on the weekend, I started to mow this big lot. I went through first and picked out all the rocks so it wouldn't break my $25 lawnmower blade. <clears throat> So the little kids had a place to play. And then Derek Power's father, he and I, uh, he, Steve found a, a swing set, used swing set. Someone to give away. So we got the swing set. We set it up so the little kids could come out and they'd swing. My wife and I, we went outside and we went to the parking lot. And we shoveled up all the little dirt mounds and picked up cigarette butts. And the next thing you know, the place was cleaner. We didn't get paid for it. And we just decided we're going to be a light here. Well, there was a couple living right next to us, and they were not married. They were in college together. And she, he was a, she was a cocktail waitress. He was an engineering student. He worked in bartending. <clears throat> and when we moved there, the man, the Christian man who gave us the trailer, he said this to me. He said, Mark, you know, we've tried to reach out to them, but they're just living in sin, and they're not interested. So I just said, well, okay. 
but there's a new sheriff in town. I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. He was a dear man, but we went about things differently. <clears throat> so my wife, she made cookies and, and uh, little Celeste at the time, she had hair. This girl was in cosmetology school. Celeste used to have hair down to here. And, um, and so little Jeremy and Celeste, they would walk over and knock and, and deliver cookies. And, of course, they, they'd steal your heart. They're like all you little kids in here. You're little heart stealers, man. And, and this couple, they just couldn't believe that these kids would come over. And the kids would ask if they could see their kittens, and, and Mary took to that. And then, and then Mary asked Celeste if she wanted to be in one of her style shows because she had hair she could do all this funky stuff to. And said, well, sure. And then she said, well, Mark, uh, could I give you a perm? My boyfriend won't let me give me one, but he said, if you'll do it, he'll do it. And I said, sure. So that's how I first started getting a perm. I don't do that anymore. It's really hard on your hair and your head. But anyway, for the gospel, I've done a lot of things, and getting a perm was one of them. <laughs> and I'll show you the picture sometime. <clears throat> well, my wife Kathy, this girl, she wanted to start to run. And Kathy's really not supposed to run anymore because of her back injury, but she started to run with her. And one day they're running up a hill, and they got kind of done. And, and this girl turns to her and she says, Kathy, I want you to know something. Um, you know, Tommy and I, we realize that you and Mark are those Christian born-again types. And I can't even tell you how much it means to us that, you know, you've just never said you guys are living in sin and you shouldn't be living together. You've just been kind to us. You've been loving to us. And, um, and she just opened up about her whole life. <clears throat> so Kathy then just opened up about hers and shared how she came to Jesus and her testimony and what her story was. And little by little by little by little by little, we just kept showing kindness. We just kept showing love. And we'll never forget this. Never forget. One day, <clears throat> we'll call her Sally. Sally came over to Kathy and said, Kathy, guess what I did this morning? Kathy said, what? I buttered Tommy's toast. Salvation had come to that trailer. <laughs> if you understood the feminist that this girl was, for her to butter his toast and make it, was a really big deal. And then she went on to describe how she'd become a Christian. And she'd accepted Christ. Eventually, they both came to Christ. Eventually, Celeste and my, uh, was the flower girl in their wedding. And we went to their wedding. And to this day, they followed Christ. And they raised their children to know the Lord. Friends, how you train your children can have a huge impact on family and friends and people we come in contact with. Kids, your life has a huge impact on others. When you are kind to your siblings, when you're respectful and obedient, when you have a good attitude, my gosh, it just is unbelievable. One of the things I've told young people, and I saw this with myself, my, uh, 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 I'm going to end really soon. My wife's parents, they were... They were very much opposed to our life. Um, they're not anymore, but they were very much opposed to us getting married. They uh, were not thrilled about Christianity in any way, shape, or form. So we waited about two and a half years to get married, and, and we did everything they asked us to do except not get married. <laughs> and <clears throat> finally they said they'd come. Three days before the wedding, they called and said, no, we're not coming. So we canceled the wedding three days before the wedding. We had invited 500 guests. 
And this is one of the things I want to share with you. This is very important. Patient, sacrificial love in winning your family members to Christ will often mean giving up your rights and your preferences. And I want to ask you this question today. If Jesus is willing to die for you, if Jesus, who did nothing wrong, was was willing to take the unjust beatings that he took, what are you willing to do for your Savior to win others to Christ? So we cancel the wedding. It was hard. My fiancé cried. It was difficult because we'd waited a long time. Two months later, they finally just said, you know what? We're never going to come anyway. Just get married, get on with your lives. So we got married and got on with our lives. Three weeks after we married, my wife conceived. And nine months later, we had our first little girl. Mom and dad came up for maybe a day. They went back again. They were not thrilled about our lives. But I knew we're in this for the long haul. And Kathy and I continued to pray for them. And we just continued to raise our children to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. 20 years later, her father, her father, got baptized in a lake at 63 years old in Kansas. And it was Kathy's baptism in a lake when she was 20 that convinced him we were in a cult. And now he's doing the same thing. Because, of course, the New Testament teaches us to get baptized by immersion. When his wife left him, he was devastated. And he came to our home. Kathy took him out for dinner. And he said to Kathy, it was a terrible bunch of circumstances that caused the marriage to end. And all he wanted to talk about, he was devastated by this. All he wanted to talk about was the Lord. So Kathy's just like, she's just, this is unbelievable. I've dreamed about this all my life. As they're driving home, Kathy's got all this going through her mind. And her father looks over and he says, Kathy, the most important lesson I ever learned in my life was from you and Mark. And I'm going to practice that lesson on your mom. And Kathy said, Daddy, what lesson are you talking about? She had no idea. He said, the lesson of forgiveness. Your mother and I treated you horribly. Horribly, they threw me out of their house the first time they ever met me. After two and a half hours, they pointed to the door, said, you may not stay over here overnight because you may get up in the middle of the night and steal from us. We don't know you. You have to leave. That's the truth. I have never been treated that way in my entire life. I didn't get upset. I didn't yell and scream at them. I went to the door. I got in my car. And I went to to a little roadside motel. And the next morning at 6 a.m., her father's pounding on the door with veins sticking out of his neck, screaming at me, get out of this town. You will never see my daughter the rest of your life. And I left and had no way to tell Kathy what had happened or where I was. So when he said, when he said, the biggest regret I have in my life is how we treated you, which he did a few uh, months later when he came for a visit. We have seen God transform his life. And over the years, we just continue being patient and loving towards her mother. Her mother now sends Jesus forwards to us all the time. I don't know exactly where she's at, but Kathy's relationship with her is vastly different. And the things she talks about are vastly different, the mom, than years ago. Are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing? To sacrifice your rights and your preferences to be a light and an ambassador to Jesus Christ. Because I want to tell you, 
There is no greater privilege in the world than what Jesus has called us to be. Father, I just thank you tonight for your word, for your love, for your kindness, Lord. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And Jesus, you are in us making your appeal to the world. Help us, Lord. Help us. Even if the rest of the world or the rest of Christians do not take this seriously, help us to do it. One life, one family, one person, single, man or woman, can make a difference in their family, in their neighborhood, on their job. Help us, dear God. Give us a passion for this, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.